should open it. Did you already start it? He did. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, welcome to the podcast, everybody. Uh, Ghosts of Magic. If you don't know, if you found us by accident, we are um, not really covering the topic of ghosts. This well, we week. are ghosts. But we are ghosts. We are ghosts of men are speaking. Uh, I'm Travis Cook-Young. Uh, missing from the typical podcast lineup is Andrea Zitlau. She was unable to join us. She's busy working. With uh, Lucky Studios, she had planned to uh, duck out and be a bit of a, a podcast renegade and make up some excuse, but uh, apparently she said some big meetings this afternoon, so yeah. can't, really dig out, can't really dip out on that. Um, but um, as more than suitable replacements, we've got two wonderful guests here, uh, the always uh, intelligible Andrew Gilmore. I don't think that's really true, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes I just sort of wander away mid conversation. Right, yeah. right, and uh, and the uh, always uh, incredible shaking her head, Caitlin Stairs. Welcome. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, Thank you. that's my pleasure. That's awesome. My pleasure on the podcast. So, uh, action-packed podcast for everybody today. Um, we've got um, this session here where we're going to be looking at um, wonderful. Our books, uh, architectural books, books that feature architecture, yeah, things of this nature. That's mm -hmm. that's Andrew's going to uh, to really help us, yeah, understand the mind behind the madness of of his wonderful designs that I'm sure are inspired by by the volumes here stacked ahead of me, mm -hmm. as well as we will be discussing uh, Nocturne, something we're all involved in. Um, Caitlin, even working on. The school project is that an architecture association or like a DASA thing or no, was it? it... Just people that wanted to volunteer and sign up and do it in their spare time. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, it was awesome. Great. Well, thanks for volunteering. Well, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, I didn't feel like I could do it in B one, but I had the time now, so it was great to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. That's one thing. Actually, just talking work terms, uh, having the extra time, having the space in the evening is is just wonderful. I almost don't know what to do with it. Like, there's so much time. No, so absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and so uh, we've got time to podcast and, and take on other other projects and designs and things like that. So just checking in on uh, work terms, um, starting with you, Caitlin. You are working with Peter, mm -hmm. one of the uh, tutors that we've all come to know and love. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us, yeah, what is, what's, uh, what's your experience been so far with PB Studios? Um, you know, I guess kind of, Going in initially, what sort of work um, did you start out with, and, and what are you working on now? Um, it's been great so far. Um, it's a tiny studio. There's only eight of us, but three of those members are on site all the time. They're full-time construction crew. Great, okay. Um, so it's super intimate. It's very hands-on. Everyone's kind of just carrying their own weight. Everyone's a part of everything. It's awesome. Um, I've had the opportunity to work on a number of residences, and we actually had one for Footings last Friday, which was awesome. So we went to that, and then today they did the ICF for it, so we're going to go back to site and check it out tomorrow. Um, so it's been great to actually see something like that I've been drawing and editing actually get forward. Come to fruition? Yeah. yeah that's no, that's awesome. very exciting. Yeah. Um, and that's very quick as well, I've got to say. I mean... Um, well, they started it a year prior to this. Gotcha. Okay. So it is enormous. It's um, near the Rotary. Right. Um, big house in a tiny neighborhood, and it's been a long time coming. Okay. We're not there yet, but it's very near the end, and it's very exciting. So, so was there some demolition on this site before they went in? Yeah. So there was an old house there, um, and that old house had lead laterals, so all the, the pipes coming into the building were lead. Oh, okay. So there was a lot of demolition, a lot of, like, um, the road got ripped up numerous times. It was, you know, the way things are when things don't work well the first time, you got to do it again. Sure, of course, and especially working and building in, in a place where there's already this sort of groundworks have been established, and it's, you know, it's a lot different from building, um, you know, in a forest or on a field or on the edge of a cliff. I'm sure those come with all their own challenges, but so does working uh, within a city, so that's... Yeah, that's pretty great. So, um, I guess as far as the actual work, I can assume some CAD work and, and things like that, but just tell us what sort of software have you been using and, and for those types of projects. And... Mostly it's been CAD. We typically start out obviously on paper, then we move to CAD, and then when we want to do um, elevations and play with fenestration and whatnot, we do a pretty simple massing model on Rhino, print it out, trace over it again on 
um, trace paper and kind of just see what works. Cool. Um, but yeah, mostly CAD, bit of Rhino every now and then. We do a couple touch-ups in Photoshop, but typically it's just those two. Nice. Awesome. And I heard that uh, you guys are no layers over there at PB Studio with your CAD work. Is that... I've never correct? used a layer, to be quite no, honest. Okay, I right don't on. know what that means. You're right. I've <laughs> yeah. only ever used lines of different line colors and right. then just different CTV files. So I don't even know how to use layers. So it was a relief to me that I didn't have to learn how to do them and do them wrong the first time. Nice. Yeah. It's nothing kind of, like, yeah. lucky. But yeah, uh, we don't really use layers. So sorry. Cool. That's awesome. So um, now we're, what, like halfway through this, this before work term? Yeah. Uh, is there any. Uh, projects or anything coming up that um, that you're excited to work on or anything like in, for the rest of this term that you know is is in the pipeline? Yeah, we have some pretty cool ones coming up. Um, we recently were um, in contact with one of Pete's neighbors and he owns, so Pete lives in Terrence Bay, which is kind of near Peggy's Cove area and he has a property that overlooks Back Bay and one of his neighbors um, actually owns like the very end of it. Okay. He kind of has like this he owns two properties, two kind of like cliff top terraced areas. Um, and we went to site the other day and we had it. Um, survey? What is the word? Yes. Survey? The water course setback um, is pretty um, long there because it's a like steep drop off. Anyway. Right. Okay. So I drew up the uh, site plan for it and then we rendered it in Rhino. So we're all doing our own schematics. The way it works in the office is we kind of. It's not competitive, right? Okay. But uh, everyone pitches their own design scheme. Oh, that sounds competitive. And then, I mean, I assume so. I don't know. Right. I haven't yeah. Done it yet. But right. um, and then we take it to the client. We kind of discuss, and from there things move forward. So we are having our first um crit for that next Friday. Fun. Yeah. So that's awesome. It's gonna be a really cool build. Great. And obviously, you've got the Thunder Pup. Well, there's actually two dogs. Thunder pups. Yeah, so there's Finn, Fun. the yeah. Bernies. He uh, is pretty well known for barking in your face when he wants a rock. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the newest addition is Pete's girlfriend's. His name's Odie. He's a wiener dog. Right. Um, frequently found sitting on my lap. It's awesome. Nice. Girlfriend or fiance? I don't really uh, need to share any details <laughs> there. Yeah. Um, We're not getting too deep. Uh, either way. Yeah, there's yeah, a couple great. of a couple of dogs. The dogs make it great. Fantastic! Thank yeah. you very much. And Andrew, we're actually broadcasting from your current office. It's a corner office. It's a corner office. Say. It's very deluxe. Um, you know, Churchill's bunker. Yeah, <laughs> underground. <laughs> yeah. yeah, is it? Yeah, it is. Nice. Yeah. Oh, this is Churchill's Bunker underneath here? This, no. Okay, I was going to say, there's the uh, statue across the street. I didn't know if there was a... Uh, that would be great. Yeah, if there was some yeah, sort yeah. of Churchill connection to this yeah. place. But um, no, we're here in Sexton House. That's right. Yeah, on the campus. So um, thank you for providing the space. Of course. Yeah, so um, your work term experience. Uh, you've kind of done a bit of traveling and uh, and had, uh, you know, some, some noteworthy times here. So... Uh, it'd be great to just kind of share, um, you know, kind of your, yeah, your initial takeoff into the before term. Sure. Um, so I went to London. I got mm. a visa. And I was working for a small firm in London. Right. Um, smaller than PB. So we had eight people, but we only had five people in studio. Oh, right on. And okay. the eight people were sort of contract people. So I was employed as an architect in the UK. I can call myself that. Um which seems very problematic, actually. Uh, so I, I was a, I was a project architect for a project that I had sort of started. I was there for six weeks. Cool. Um, which was sort of a cool project. I actually really loved working on it. It was in the south of France. Mm. Uh, we had acquired a the so the firm had actually purchased the property from um, this director Agnes Varda, who's like part of the sort of art house at Cannes. Okay. And so it was like this sort of like fabled castle that she had where she would have, um, what's his name? David Lynch. Oh, would like yeah. Have, so they would, I think, I think the premise is they would get wasted after Cannes and like do a bunch of drugs and go watch films with David Lynch. Right. Okay. At this place. And so, so the project Sounds that I was, tough. Yeah. yeah. So the project I was working on was this, was this castle. Wow. Being turned into a hotel. Okay, cool. So it was fun. Um, and, then I left London. Right, then he left London and came back, and uh, now you're here 
Yeah. Uh, playing for the home team with uh, Ted Kavanaugh. With Ted Kavanaugh. None yeah. other. The Lamella Master. The Lamella Master, yeah. yeah. I feel like I know too much about Good Shells now. Mm. It's kind of one of those things. Um, no, it's really nice. It's really good. So I'm here on campus um, in a small office helping Ted write a book. Well, fantastic. Doing some research, yeah. And just to clarify, uh, you were not on Ted's free lab. I was not. No. So, um, but even since, in your past little bit, you've been <clears throat> just lamella to the max. I have, yeah. I built a lamella, actually, two weeks ago. <laughs> nice. What size are we talking about? Oh, yeah. to one scale. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, not the, not the whole thing. Oh, I, did okay. a, I did a few cells of one, but... Uh, oh. Right. Uh, which is that thing over there in the corner. It's one of the Oh, cool. Um, For those of you uh, listening, it's very impressive. Oh, super impressive. Yeah, so, um, yeah, maybe uh, come talk with Andrew. Maybe he'll still have this. Yeah, come by the office. Come by the office. Just drop on in. Oh, yeah. Nice. Um, Excellent. Yeah, so, uh, but again, um, and so this experience here, it's been uh, rewarding and, uh, and fun, but I think kind of like most of us, it's really busy, feast and famine sort of a thing, either really busy or, or kind of... Taking it easy, back and forth between the two. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. There's there's been a lot of work at times. Like I didn't get what I needed done today, but um, definitely moments last week where I was in here working on other stuff. Right. Okay. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's nice to have that freedom. And uh, again, the work term experience. I think one thing that I'm, I won't uh, bore everyone with uh, another recap of of what I'm doing, but um, just in general, I find the work term experience. Being, you know, shoulder to shoulder uh, with, um, you know, uh, intern architects as well as, um, you know, registered architects being part of the work and just seeing kind of the day to day of what goes into uh, the practice of architecture. It's it's very exciting and uh, feels rewarding. And, and when you kind of think back that, you know, we've got one term left and we've, uh, you know, completed the the undergraduate portion of, of architecture, uh, it's, it seems unbelievable. It seems like this time's gone very fast. Very fast and very slow at the same time. Right, exactly, it's yeah. Kind of yeah, it, it's flown by, but it, it takes forever in the meantime, yeah. yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah, if anything, uh, what I'm gaining from my work term experience is this feeling of um, just kind of... Uh, solid footing you know knowing that it's uh the right choice it feels like the a place where i want to apply myself moving forward so nice. yeah so really fun so um yeah so work terms super great mm-hmm. speaking of super great andrew i'd yeah. love to be able to talk about that stack of literature you've got over there totally yeah so um i guess you definitely, uh, in my B2 studio, yeah. uh, you know, had the reputation, maybe just between Lewis and myself, as having this uh, wonderful, we team, actually. Yeah, yeah, revolving library yeah. of all the books that we needed for yeah. our project. That's true. Uh, you go to the library, none of them were there. They were all at your desk. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems to me that uh, in written form, that seems to be a great resource for you in, along this architectural journey. Yeah, I think I think reading has sort of been the. Uh, I mean, it's only been a year, right? So it's it's difficult to say kind of what architecture is going to mean for me over a longer period of time. Sure. But I think literature and reading and books and owning books and borrowing books has been really valuable for me. Mm. Um, and I do want to preface everything that we're going to say about me and reading. Yeah. With the fact that I have never done well in history so far. Oh, great. Okay. I am a full-grown adult, and I have barely achieved a B in history consistently. Right, okay. It it has been a struggle for me, Um, but I really like reading, and actually, um, uh, I think it sort of really calms me down Mm. in the sort of chaos of studio to, like, take a moment, go back, read something from the past or something from, you know, something current. Sure. And just kind of be like, okay, architecture is not, it doesn't have to be all craziness. Sometimes there's a bit of sort of refuge in, in in a good book about architecture. Absolutely. You know what? I, uh, that's actually very uh, uh, wonderful. I didn't find the time during um, the term, but definitely on the, uh, the breaks, you know, the week-long breaks that we'd have, um, I, I absolutely would pick up a few books that uh, I'll talk about later. But 
I enjoy just jumping into them and having the luxury of just reading for pleasure and um, being able to go down some other paths that ne aren't necessarily uh, complementary to the curriculum at the time, mm -hmm. um, but have, uh, yeah, have given me a, a bit of a foundation for things like light and, and uh, just understanding process and things like that. So, yeah, so yeah. pretty incredible. So let's grab the stack of books here yeah, and yeah. just uh, and, and go through what we've... Uh, yeah. Wait, tell us I a mean, bit about them. Yeah, let's not talk about all. Maybe I'll say my favorite books. I'll kind of mention the ones that I've mentioned. Yeah, if you, yeah, just yeah. go through the list of books and, and the ones yeah. that really touched your heart. Yeah, maybe touch on for the listeners. Um, so this is a this is a book that I've probably mentioned a few times in group settings, um, and that I've read a bunch of times, and I, it took me a long time to get my hands on a copy because it's presently out of print. Ah. So I originally read it in the library, um, but I've since read it, like I said, um, maybe half a dozen times. So I, I've read it over a few times. Um, and the book is called Natural History. Okay. It is a personal favorite of a lot of the profs in the school, which I only found out after the fact. Um, but it's about the work of Herzog and de Mirol. Oh. So kind of really heady stuff. <clears throat> yeah. But it's a really interesting book. Um, it was basically, it was, it was uh, published by the CCA, Canadian Centre for Architecture, um, following an exhibition on their work in which all of their old models, um, old drawings, sketches, were sort of put on display as what they called garbage. Okay. Uh, they said it's, you know, they're not pieces of art, they're not wonderful objects, in a lot of cases they didn't result in anything good. Right. But it's just kind of architectural garbage, and I, I, I kind of... That's love, wonderful. Yeah, I love that idea. Actually, yeah. I love that idea because I was listening to the podcast, the last podcast, right. and we were talking about garbage, or two podcasts ago. Right. Talking yeah. about garbage, and I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, that's how I described my uh, B three. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a piece of garbage. Yeah. But it's great. Yeah. It, it, it's super good. Um, so yeah, it's a really good book, and and I think I think actually it sort of says something about the reading that I like to do, which is I really don't like long books. So this book is quite thick as you guys see, but um, it's a lot of short chapters and a lot of oh. short essays by different people. Okay. So you can sort of read read a little bit and then go have a coffee or do something else. Cool, okay. So, yeah, so yeah, it's maybe a nice toilet book in that sort of sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. Your Uncle John's bathroom reader. Yeah. 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 Uncle Andrew's bathroom go, books. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who does that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, I don't know. So I think that would be my favorite book. So I would say in recommendation, if, you're, uh, if you've got a short attention span like me, uh, pick up Natural History. Now, I see you've got a, a couple of post-its sticking do. out of the side there. Is those, are there any of those uh, worth... I can read... Why don't I read the, um, the statement for the exhibition? Quite, yes. Quite short. Yeah. It gives you a good sense of kind of what the book may, may be about. Great. Uh, so the exhibition, Just Waste. So in this exhibition, all of our models and experiments with materials have been carefully numbered, labeled, and displayed on tables. We are exhibiting an archive that is a physical accumulation of the documents that we've produced in order to initiate and accelerate mental processes, or on the contrary, to arrest and propel them in another direction. They bear mute and lifeless witness to the considerable energy that we as a group, in varying co various combinations, have invested over the years in order to set out intellectual processes in motion. In some cases, buildings have actually emerged as a result. These archived objects are therefore nothing but waste products, since the immaterial mental processes of understanding, learning, and developing always have priority. We have never been interested in producing objects invested with an aura in the nature of an artwork. These objects do not are not works of art. They are an accumulation of waste. In this respect, but only in this respect, they have something in common with natural history. As explicitly foregrounded by the curators of this exhibition, accumulated archival documents or accumulated bones and fossils, whatever the case, would be all lifeless waste if it not for the special gaze, the creative, attentive, sometimes even loving gaze of the interested, the lover, who was able to interpret and interrelate the molded shapes, grooves, indentations, and discolorations. In and among all the waste products, these curators have cleverly smuggled a few works of real art, such as a genuine object by Louise, an original Yukine blue, and a hand-sculpted figure by Giaconetti. Are these simply more waste products, or does the panoply of archived waste 
seek to enhance its status by basking in the radiance of a familiar brand name aesthetic? Or conversely, are the works of art, as victims of name recognition, trying for once to escape the tyranny of the white cube so that they may be seen and appreciated in a new light cast in them by the unusual context? <clears throat> Having entrusted the design of our last major exhibition in 1995 at the Centre Pompidou to the artist Remy Zhao, we now take a radically, radically different approach. We have largely committed ourselves to the idea proposed by the project initiator Kurt Foster and curator Philip Hipsfranc, who have modeled their exhibition on natural history exhibitions. We have opened our archive to the interested viewer like a Bundeskammer, transferred its contents to the space of the gallery. Since architecture itself cannot be exhibited, we are forever compelled to find substitutes for it. So that was written in 2002. Um, Thank it's you. Really, that, that was yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really, it's a really interesting read. Um, and then I think another thing that I love about books is books that are produced with sort of uh, beautiful quality. Sure. Yes. No. And uh, just before you go on about that, yeah. uh, I just want to say about the passage you read yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know I had cockles. <laughs> I've heard of cockles in your heart before, but they've yeah. just been warmed. That was uh, yeah. that was very nice. Yeah, very, yeah. yeah, great way to feel like thinking to, about it. The tyranny of the white cube. Yeah. Yes, I like how to feel that. I mean, we speaking. understand that as artists in a way, yeah. right? Um, but I mean, do you guys know the work of Herzog? I do. Well, I mean, you'd recommended a couple of uh, different buildings to me. The that twisting, uh, mm -hmm. twisting one there, mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, numerous others. You can't. Um, I can't now, but definitely recognize the name. Uh, and fantastic. I'm actually um, just kind of leafing through a, I said leafing because it's mostly a, an illustrative book, but uh, just on brutalism and, or redefining brutalism. And uh, it's like Maron's uh, definitely on that list with kind of their proportions and things that they're working mm -hmm. in. Not necessarily <laughs> concrete, but, um, but yeah, just fantastic. So yeah. Yeah, definitely. Very cool. Yeah. But, and they, I mean, they have an affinity for material like the brutalists did. So, so. There's a there's definitely a, a strength in that in, in both worlds and then they don't work in concrete a lot but I think they would definitely if they did go the brutalist vein of things oh absolutely and, like, yeah. and do sort of a sort of a mono palette of concrete yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely so uh, this book here it looks like you have withdrawn it from the library what I'd like to do is yeah. just uh, can you just let us what is what is where do we find that library what's the uh, yeah, yeah. number or whatever that's so, on the uh, the binding surprisingly I don't work for them but I think <laughs> yeah. I could maybe make some money um, yeah. so there it's the Sexton Library right yeah so it's the architecture library so if you go into um, I don't even know what building that is. Do you guys know what building that is? Oh, we, I, I think we know where the... Yeah, yeah we'll keep going there. It's up yeah. on the third floor. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, uh, great place. Uh, frequently sort of uh, got a lot of undergrads studying in there. So right. It's quite a quiet place. It's nice yes. Place. Yeah. yeah. And so the number on the side of the... What is the... Where's the actual location of this thing? Just to make it easy. Cause, yeah. Yeah, because like, I, I guess and maybe uh, I'm an anomaly here, but I just... I know where the architecture books are in that library. Yeah. I just kind of walk in there and then I just pick things off the shelves. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. and, and it has not uh, gone wrong for me yet. So, uh, but yeah, where would we find that one? So you'll find it in the, is the right word Mongrass? Not Mongrass. Whatever. So you'll find, so when you walk into the library. Yeah. And then you go into the actual book section, which is on your right. Turn left. Okay. And then all the architecture books are basically from the doorway to the left. Right. And it's all along that wall, um, all the way to the very back. It's just on that main level. Um, and you'll find this in the NA section. NA. Yeah. Do you want me to actually read the numbers? Yeah. Let's say, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's get the numbers. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So we have N. Yeah. A. Yeah. 1353. 1353. H47. Okay. H47. Yeah. 2002. Perfect. Yeah. Great. Now, now, this is a really... Okay, so again, if you're going to take this book out, you better return it because there are no other prints of this, of this copy. When I went to the CCA and found that copy, yeah. there were only two available on the shelf. Wow, okay. Yeah, so, so so very special. So if you... And also, they're selling on eBay for $900. So $900? If, if you want to steal a book, this would be a good book to steal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Nice. Fantastic. Thank you for asking around. That's yeah. great. Um, so, first on the list, Herzog de Miron, and probably... Butchering that. Uh, natural history. That's right. Love that book. Fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing it. Of course. Moving on. Yeah, do you, I mean, how much time did that take? Uh, we have tons of time. That's the okay. thing. Yeah, I'm actually uh, also 
going to ask you where the bathroom is here. <laughs> do you want to go do that? I'm going to go run to the bathroom yeah. while you look at this okay, next so that's one. A bit yeah. of a, that's a bit of a hub. So go back to the entrance. Yeah. And then look towards the back of the building. Yeah. And it's straight to the back of the building. Perfect. Okay, that's great. Don't so lost. in we'll the meantime, yeah. Yeah. yeah, okay, great. Yeah, keep the podcast go. Yeah, sure. What do we got next? Um, how about, I think we read some of this maybe a semester ago. Did we read this? Book of Tea? I think, yeah, when we were speaking of um, Japanese tea houses and yeah. history, there was a passage from that. Yeah, definitely. So this was, um, so Kakuzo Okakura, The Book of Tea. Um, this is not really explicitly, I guess, an architecture book, but um, it definitely has architecture in it and, and, and great passages about what the tea house looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I like it because... Uh, it was one of the first books I ever read, really. I think I, I think I bought this book when I was 12 or 10, 10, somewhere around there. Um, so it's a really sort of important book for me, but I think this sort of harkens back to, it's not a super intellectual book, but what it, what it is, it's, it's a meaningful book for me. It's a book that I've always sort of found solace in, um, though it does talk about the tea room. If I remember correctly, it was about the ritual, right? It spoke a lot of the processes of uh, serving tea properly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, so it was written in the early 1900s um, by a Japanese man who was living in Boston at the time. Um, I think I find I think I, I really find his story compelling in a way. Um, so he immigrated to Boston from Japan. Uh, writes a lot about his experiences of uh, racism, segregation, feeling sort of like the other all the time. And so what he does is he sort of hits on the market of Orientalism and introduces Japanese life to Bostonians um, at a time when it's super popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really that's what this, this short treatise is about, is about um, what it's like to serve tea in Japan um, and then the emergence of tea culture and teaism as a religion. Um, it's a very short read. Again, I think it's, how many pages is it? 87 pages and it's a really nice read it's a really sort of uh, easy read mm-hmm. yeah and does it speak to his story in that as well or is that some previous knowledge you have of the author yes and no uh, with a bit of background reading you can understand that what he's talking about is, is really sort of immensely personal okay. but um so yes and no. it's kind of there but yeah with a bit of background reading it's sort of so we're talking about the Book of Tea. Do you remember this one? I do love the Book of Tea. This is yeah. a this is a Hadrian, is it favorite as well? Oh, I yeah. believe. Really? Yeah, we were in the seminar. He yes, that he one. loves the Book of Tea. Oh yeah. yeah, that's um. I was just saying it's it's. It, I mean, it, it certainly talks about the tea room, but it's been a long time favorite book of mine. I've been reading it for fifteen years. Oh wow! Just I've always had this in my back pocket. Great. Um, and so again, it's sort of one of those books I've always gone back to. I've read and reread, um, and would recommend it for anybody who wants to read. Book of Two, it's 87 pages. Nice, uh, that's, and that's one of those fantastic reads. Um, just before we move on to the next one, uh, yeah. one book I will touch on quickly that's one that I've read a few times, is The Thinking Hand. Oh yeah. So this was part of the uh, recommended reading. Have you had a chance to leave through that one? I began the thinking hand (laughs) um, on our fall reading break. As did I, yeah. And I don't know if I was still too naive at that time. Okay. Or if I don't fully love reading about pedagogy in that extent of depth. Right. But it and I did not mesh. Right, Um, okay. And I have nothing against it. I just, I don't know if I have um, a set of rules that I follow that stringently or that I passionately believe in right um but no i mean i the quotes that are in the passages that i've heard from it and what i remember of it it was very telling um it seems very uh, yeah (laughs) no from what i gained from it and especially the b1 term uh and the push to uh you know obviously you're doing hand drawing then and really trying to um explore the way that your your hand well, I guess I can't say hand and a thinking hand. That's like just too much. But but uh, having you know decisive pen strokes uh, in your sketches and and things like that, I think um, reading that book really helped me um, be reaffirmed and, and just just draw the line already. Yeah. You know, and and uh, and do this and you know 
paper something to be used and then just kind of to, to get ideas out and do these things. Don't hold yourself back before you have the idea because there's so many ideas that you need to have to get you there yeah. you know, in the first place. So that was a good one. Um, as well as thermal delights in architecture. Lovely. Such a good read. Such a good read. And, and that's actually what I wanted to bring up because that was a, that for me, um, you know, traditionally I'm much more of a TV guy, you know, or, or magazines. Um, but I've found a real love of reading uh, here in uh, since uh, getting into architecture school. And Thermal Delights was one of the uh, first books in a long time that I sat down and read in a sitting. Yeah. Right? And it was just, once you started kind of getting the, uh, you know, the concepts are uh, related into kind of real world experiences and, and not like it's, it's um, you know, simplified in any way. It's definitely poetic and, and a wonderful read. Um, yeah, that's another one that, that I would throw out there. I'd also, nice. I'd also sell the fact that it's one of the only books I've ever seen on a reading list in our school that has a female author. Oh, so very nice. And it's a newer book, right? Yeah. It, was, it was published in 2010 or 2009 or something. So lots of pluses there. Interesting that you mentioned it was there. I actually read it romanticizing the idea that it was like a late 70s book. Really? And it's the autumn, like summer sun it to me, be. that always, that always, I, well, I'm not too sure, but um, yeah, I, I'd always find that period for me uh, is kind of like this simpler times uh, uh, type of thing. Plus, again, my love for uh, brutalist architecture and the oh, yeah. uh, 1970s and, and all these types of things. Um, yeah, I'm not going to write. I'm curious as to sell this. There we go. And, I and thought it was. It's, it's could be from the late 2000s. Who knows? That's how it just still works. Still it is works. A, have, you, have you read? I'm not, no. I would. I think. I think it's you. You enjoyed it more than um, the Thinking Hand. Is that kind of what you're saying? Uh, well, interesting. You mentioned that. I, you know, I read um, Thinking Hand was the first book that I ever reread. Okay. Right, because I was just like, oh, that was great, and so I read it again over the the Christmas break. Um, Thermal Delights was the first book I I conquered in in a single session so oh, okay. so they both have special places in my heart for me i don't know if i liked one more than the other um but i would have to say i think thermal delights is one that i i carry some of the ideas with me when i'm in my everyday life mm -hmm. and the thinking hand was something that helped me really kind of push forward um not my designs particularly but just i guess my design process yeah totally. so one of them's a bit more about school the other one's yeah. a bit more about life yeah 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 totally yeah uh, and I would say, for the reason that, so you're saying that the Thinking Hand is maybe less relatable in the life context? Yes. His other book? Ooh. Have you read this one? No, I have not. Have you seen this one? I too began it and could not. I'm not one. I'm going to, I'm going to read a book to you one night. I'm just, I'm just not one to read yeah. it. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd love uh, to, yes. I so, this book, can I see the cover there yeah, again? Yeah, totally, this is yeah. this is called The Eyes of the Skin, Architecture and the Senses uh, by Juhani Plasma. Is that That's right. Nice. Okay, fantastic. Came to Nova Scotia. Uh, right. To hang out with BML. Right, right yeah. Right. There is, yeah, there is some connection with our school and, and this author. Yeah, yeah and, it, and it definitely feels like The Thinking Hand and The Eyes of the Skin are... Mm part of the school in a lot of ways right. um so i actually find the the eyes of the skin much more readable it's one of his first kind of big sellers cool and then i find the thinking hand is a little bit slapdash and uh, i found it kind of difficult to read actually uh, yeah absolutely that was yeah, yeah it, but it was uh, it's <laughs> yeah yes. but it's enjoyable for that same reason sure yeah it is a valuable read. Yeah. And so a lot of the ideas from The Thinking Hand come from uh, these early ideas in The Eyes of the Skin. Oh, wonderful. So if you enjoy The Thinking Hand, or if you haven't read it, I would say uh, maybe start with Eyes of the Skin. Yeah. Uh, it's much more relatable to everyday life, and uh, he's sort of in a sort of nebulous, sort of, um, uh, I guess sort of a nebulous way, he sort of talks about the senses, and talks cool. about what it's like to touch things, remember things. Which, if you've read anything by Peter Zumthor, it feels a little bit like Peter Zumthor as well. Mm. So, um, yeah, so some nice, nice sort of tie-ins. It's also I, I I just enjoy it better. Which is it's really wonderful to um, again just to pause and I think this is 
going to come up a few times here as we're talking about uh, reading is that it's so nice to pause and amidst the, you know, tumultion, the constant deadlines, the constant, uh, you know, always having to do something of, of, uh, of architecture school to be able to remember that like architecture is part of the world. It is part of our senses. It is what we touch. It is what we see. And, um, and that extends far beyond, you know, a 24 by 36 piece of Mayfair. Yeah. You know, it, it's their world. This is always happening, right? So, um, yeah, so fantastic. The eyes of the skin. Yeah. Definitely sounds like one I'm going to uh, yeah. dig into here. Yeah. So, Andrew, could you recommend for a novice like me, what book would be good to start with? What book would be good to start with? Yeah. yeah Do you have any suggestions to get I... into architectural literature? To get into architectural literature? Well, I would say if you're not a reader, don't don't do it like there's no reason to read if that's not your medium i just happened to i think i was always like around books as a kid so when i was a kid my mom was a i'm gonna make her sound like a hoarder but she was a, <laughs> she was a food stylist so she collected uh like we received like a dozen magazines a week but they were all right. like food magazines right like okay cooking magazines mm. um and so our, our one of our rooms in our basement was just floor to ceiling magazines so i love to like sit and read through those interesting um, so I've always been kind of around books, and that's kind of how mm -hmm. I think I understand things. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, I don't visit any architecture websites. Like I, I, I really have not spent any time on Art Daily or any of those things, and I don't have Instagram, right? So for me, books are really your medium. Such yeah. a, a weird way to receive information because it's so. By the time it's already come out, it's been years. It's, it's too no, but that's that's very interesting. So I share a very similar experience uh, growing up, not with food magazines, but with fashion magazines. Oh, so really, yeah. Um, yeah, so we had a library in my house that was just stacked um, with Vogue, uh, you know, Italian Vogue, French Vogue, and all these things. And so I'd have all those, uh, as well as books and a lot of records and things like that. Um, but yeah, as a child, just, you know, going and leafing through magazine after magazine after magazine was something I kind of sneak out of my room at night and, and go and do. And uh, yeah, it was wonderful to have a resource like that. And so um, I also don't frequent architecture websites. Uh, and I mean, I do have Instagram and I do follow these places and I'll scroll through and I'll see something I like, then I'll follow it along. Typically the things that I end up liking on the internet are Omar Gandhi projects. And yeah. I'm excited about them because, you know, they're tied with our school and they're usually here in this province. So, so that's very exciting. But to really sink into... Um, architecture books seem to really be and illustrated books uh, I find are, are very yeah, yeah because it's so nice to just have them there um, you know keep them uh, you know I try to keep a rotating library uh, at home mm -hmm. um, from the Sexton Library and this is why I pay like uh, enormous late fees yeah. <laughs> to this place um, but but I do and um, but it's just nice to have them there and open and you know you've got a book around for a couple of weeks um, you know, if it's three or four hundred pages, you you get through it just flipping through, and and you really do, not necessarily soak in ideas, but you you get these precedents, and it will undoubtedly influence you know yeah. your thinking later, right? Well, yeah. it's also, I mean, for me, if like, I mean, you you we've all been in a studio together, and so I always have the book open on my desk, and I think what it does is it's like I mentioned earlier, it just kind of distracts me. Like if I, mm -hmm. if I'm bored of looking at something, I'll look at the book for a moment or, right. Or, or sometimes it's a good conversation starter with a tutor or something. So, Oh, geez. Kind of, you know what you did? That's that. Yeah. That was the goal of the right there. A good <laughs> conversation starter with the tutor because, yeah. um, you know, the tutor experience, um, absolutely. You need to have something yeah. or else you're going to get nothing. Right, you know, from your experience, from your design time, and, and I find, you know, with our class uh, was was large. I'm not sure what the incoming B1 class if they're similar 16. size. Yeah, so so they're smaller. So we had a, um, you know, it seemed like a, a, our tutors were really pressed yeah. to be able to not only meet with everybody but to be able to make the most of that time. And there was times where I just really wasn't prepared. I, you know, we had other things on the go, and I look back to it. Uh, especially my B2 time, my first half of B2, and I really wasn't able to utilize uh, my tutor mm -hmm. because I didn't have um, a lot of work for them to discuss and, and, and talk about when they, you know, it came time for them to meet with me. And I'd see people, um, you know, would meet with them afterwards, 
And, you know, an hour later, they were still there talking because they had so much to offer the tutor to, to give back to them. And so that's a wonderful tip yeah. to have a book there or something like that, that, you know, if there's something in that that you want to discuss, it's a great opportunity to discuss that with your tutor and, and perhaps find out how it applies to your design or, or I mean, how they've looked at that. The, I mean, the thing with architecture school, as we've all learned in the past year, is that you've got, like you said, Travis, you've got about 30 seconds to, to get it right. Yeah. Or you sometimes don't get it at all. Right, yeah. And yeah. I've gone a whole term and not got it at all. Or let's <laughs> right. say half a term yeah. and not got any attention. Yeah. Um, and so you, you do, you just kind of have to like, yeah. lock eyes and shake that person until they give you what you want but mm. you do so so yeah so maybe a book is a good way to do that and i i do always have a book on the desk and it, sometimes we've had conversations about them and yeah it's fantastic well andrew to make you less nervous i am actually reading a book right now what i know right it's um roughly architecturally based it's fictional it's okay. called the pillars of the earth oh yeah Ooh. um and it's about the master builder so it's set have you read it I have. Okay, medieval times. That's a big book. It's a dense book. <laughs> I'm, I'm working my way through it. It's set medieval times-ish. Yeah. Um, it's about a family, and their the father and his son are master builders, and he's going around trying to find a castle to build because he's very inspired by buttresses and everything and the entire mm -hmm. um, architecture of castles. And I'm like a quarter way through that, and I'm enjoying that, mm. so I am consuming literature. Nice. Um, in a fictional way. Yes. But uh, I also, um, yesterday, left work with a book off of Peter Braithwaite's Wall of Books. Oh, So I'm trying. Um, yeah. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> yeah, but you've got it. A coworker picked it off the wall and uh, passed it over to me. He said, this is a good uh, intro book. Try this. So I checked it out, took it home. So I'm going to be trying that. Mm -hmm. Updates to come. Mm -hmm. Um... But for those of you that purchased all the books that we required last year, Peter Braithwaite does have a copy of the Studio Companion on his wall. Right. So that is there. That is a potentially useful resource that is kept through his uh, art. The Studio endeavor. Companion. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So uh, I am using the resources that are near me, that wall of books. I'm taking them home, so I'm trying. Right. I will, uh, I will take some of these uh, recommendations, and yeah, maybe uh, next time you try to check that out, I'll have it. Who knows? I don't, and I'd also say, like, like I, I, in the pile here, I brought a book from home this afternoon that I was thinking about, which is like not architectural in any way. Right. Okay. Let's talk about it. And maybe like Pillars of the Earth, it's just a great fictional read. And it, and it, I mean, it does talk about it. So this is, this would be like, um, so the, so the book I'm holding. Yes, please. For those of you who aren't here. Who can't see. Yeah. <laughs> who are not here. Right yeah. Um, is Murakami's The Wine Up Bird Chronicle. Ooh. So Murakami, uh, really popular Japanese author. I don't know if he's won any prizes. Pulitzers? Yeah, I don't know. But he is like a best-selling Japanese author. Cool. Um, and has written about two dozen books. And all of them sort of have similar types of characters. Usually it's driven by youth characters who find themselves in sort of magic, realistic scenarios that you don't know how you got to the, to that state so oh okay i definitely know do you yeah yes absolutely yeah so this is a i okay so i would i would actually recommend so if you've seen a studio ghibli film or a disney film mm. or basically any animated film right i would say check out this author mm. um the writing style is very sort of conversational, very easy to read, um, but he pulls you in like, oh, nice! It's 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 a good read. So so what ends up happening in all of his books, uh, uniformly, is that uh, you start off on a sort of regular note, like uh, someone's in a taxi cab or uh, someone's uh, watering their plants or something. Right, like relatable life type. Yeah, and then the plant starts talking. Right, or, okay. Yeah. Or you're looking for someone's lost cat, and then you uh, fall into a well. Right, okay. Uh, like these these sort of incredible um, moments of reality that you sort of lose yourself in it um, until it becomes non-reality. Wow. Because total fiction. Wonderful. Um, and so, and there are some beautiful moments in this literature. And, and I think what I pulled it off the shelf is that he uses... Um, literature uh, and sort of archetypes and symbols like the well, the forest, um, in um, 
symbolic way. So like, let's say the sort of the ways that you were talking about in the podcast about Stanley Kubrick. Yes. The way the Overlook Hotel develops as a character. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say the same same thing he does with Wells and with Forrest. Oh, fantastic. So they develop into these sort of, uh, these forces um, that are capable of shaping lives. And right. I guess in a way that architecture can, can shape lives. So, oh, so, nice. So pretty cool. So I would say, uh, yeah, Murakami is the author to check out. Right. And this particular book is, sorry again, <laughs> The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle. Yeah. Cool. Sounds fantastic. It's yeah. such a non-committal title. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know what to expect. It's yeah. really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I'd say check him out. Um, and again, like Pillars of the Earth, which is a great read, I would say um, this is also just a fiction read that can really get you into reading. Nice. Yeah. So just... Um, from my side here, I've mentioned this in the podcast a few times, uh, Corbusier, Le Corbusier is, up to this point, and has been for quite a while, my favorite architect, right? And uh, and I brought this up one time in a uh, in a portfolio review. I was asked, who's your favorite architect? And I said, Le Corbusier. And the uh, tutor, uh, or the person looking at it, said, like, yes, we all love chicken, but who do you, you know, who do you, who do you actually love? Um but that's who I read as well. And so uh, the two books that I would recommend, which are um, the first, uh, Towards New Architecture, is referenced through our course material um, in, in numerous ways. And so this was a book uh, that was really kind of groundbreaking at the time. Or um, I always describe Corb as being sassy, but really he's being very saucy and very just like, this is the way things are, things are wrong, and, and they should be this way, and, and here's the right idea, and I've got the right idea. And so, without getting uh, too much further into it, Towards New Architecture is is great to kind of put yourself into that context of, uh, you know, things uh, don't necessarily need to be the way that they, they seem. And you've got to remember that it's written in, like, the 20s, so it's uh, a little bit different. But you, you, replace the, you replace the impending uh, involvement of the automobile and the human race with um, you know, uh, let's say the internet or, or things like that, right? And it's and it's pretty pertinent. The other one that I've been kind of keeping to myself for a little while mm. because it's just so good. Uh, it's in this excellent library. I just happened across it. It's a it's a short book. It's maybe fifty pages. Uh, it's, but it's Corbusier, and it says it's just him talking with students or speaking with students. And so it's really an excerpt of a of a kind of a studio time where uh, he goes through, you know, kind of nine key points that every architectural project has, and these are things to just really help you develop your design and uh, and just kind of different pathways to to look at. So I don't know if either of you guys have read any what, of these. What would the title of the second one be? It's called Speaking with Students, yeah. I believe. Yeah. 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 So have you read these, Andrew? Yeah, or? I have. Yeah, um, yeah. and um, I read... Uh, towards a new architecture hmm. a few months ago for the first time after seeing it sort of pop up over right. and over again. Right? Yeah. So um, it's an interesting read. I think what I really like about it is his use of illustration mm-hmm. um, and the weird juxtaposition of images between cars and like Doric temples. Right, yeah. Like these two things that are like, what? Yeah. Or, or um, he talks about cruise ships and steamships. Right. Uh, and then also compares those to ancient temples. So that's those are sort of weird contrasting things. And you can definitely imagine in the twenties how weird that would be to like take something so classical and beautiful and then compare it. Juxtapose it with uh, this Royce. new age. Yeah, yeah. no, exactly. And interesting <laughs> you mentioned about cruise ships. Um, you know, we have them here in Halifax all the time. Yeah. And it's um, it'd be fun actually to maybe take pictures of different cruise ships and overlay them and also put Unity to have Tation behind. Yeah, and just see how how those things all line up, and, yeah, and, and things like that. So, but I mean, prolific architect, right? So mm. I mean, you, you have to. Um, I mean, I think I think you get to a certain point where you just start appreciating aspects of the work that he was able to accomplish in his life because yes, really, he did so much. Mm. But um, I find him very problematic, and I I think architecture has made me super skeptical. I mean, I've always been a very skeptical human being. Sure, but I think. Uh, learning about Corbusier and then learning about, uh, like you guys are talking about Louis Kahn, I just get really, it just sort of stirs something in me where I'm like, ooh, 
I don't want anything to do with that. Right, right. And I think yeah. towards a new architecture, now looking back at it, I almost want nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah, no, interesting, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it polarizing, obviously. Totally, but, uh, yeah, yeah. but And again, uh, the benefit that we have with, um, you know, works of, of kind of, 20th century greats, you know, let's call them, uh, with Kahn, Corbusier, Scarpa, um, you know, among others, it's, we're able to really look at these things, um, kind of subjectively, you know, from afar, um, and, and see their influence along the way and kind of get the, you know, the romanticism of like, oh, let's see how this relates to that. And and this is a core idea and this is, and, and that's very fun. But yeah, I guess when you really look at the people themselves and their yeah. ideas in a vacuum they can be a little bit uh sassy well what's saucy. interesting about yeah. that is they are just starting the case study projects in b1 right is that now right? Yeah. and peter came back to studio the other day after teaching a studio class and he was telling me about how they have mixed a third of the case studies that we studied because oh. i don't know if those are aware or common knowledge to all of us but um we only studied male architects. Right. And this term they're mandating that a third yeah. are female architects. So now they're looking into Eileen Gray. Mm. Um, there's a famous, I can't remember the name right now, but a partner duo. And they're looking at works by the woman. And it's super exciting. And yeah. Frank Lloyd Wright is gone. So they're kind of, they're mixing it up. Which oh, wow. Is yeah, yeah. Exciting to hear. Yeah. Which, and a third is a start. I mean, um, yeah. you know, obviously yeah, awesome. you're looking for an uh, equal split. Uh, yeah, you know, absolutely. Start, uh, but yeah, no third's a good place to start. And um, shout out to Equality in Architecture. Yeah, just here we haven't talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, wonderful, so, wonderful organization. Equality in Architecture is actually sending two representatives to Harvard next weekend. Oh, there's a conference going on there about um, design in all aspects of life, not necessarily just architecture, but architecture is involved. Um, and at the most recent meeting, I did not attend, but fortunately my roommate, Staros Candias, was there. Staros. Um, he's working for James Warner right now, so yeah. he's out and about on campus. But, um, they elected a B1 student and an M6 student to go. And oh, the school cool. provided funding for that, which is awesome. Yeah. And right now they are reaching out to different, um, groups on campus and outside of campus to fund the third student. So we do have students going to Harvard right now to speak about design and equality in design and future design. And yeah, how cool yeah, is that? Yeah, super cool thing, as well as they are setting up a, another lecture that will be live-streamed on Facebook. Um, I will not share who it will be just yet, right. but it's exciting. It's a woman. Most of us know her, mm-hmm. so it's, it's going to be awesome, and it's coming up mid to late November. Okay, great. So we will check back in sure, on our yeah. next podcast and update yeah. you on the exact dates there. And uh, yeah, that's that's just wonderful. And, and you know, the I guess it's an interesting time that we're here attending the school uh, because we're, um, you know, the push obviously didn't start with our class uh, towards equality in architecture or, you know, um, but we're definitely seeing the first kind of initial changes and the, the shifts occurring. And because I think we're in this initial stage, none of these shifts will be enough because it, it takes more than just one step for these things. So it's a little dissatisfying that way, but it's encouraging to uh, to see that we're moving in, in what I feel like, I think we can agree is the right direction. Yeah, potentially, yeah. 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 Change is slow, but yeah, it yeah. is happening. And the Senate reviews are of value and all of our SRIs are like actually being read. So yeah. it's exciting to see things happen in our time here. Now, that's one thing to bring up just because I know it's a big deal when they come around about the SRIs and being able to have um, a certain threshold of people, mm-hmm. um, you know, actually input these. They take moments to accomplish, and it really is worth your while to go ahead and spend that time to go in, voice your opinion, and, uh, you know, positive and negative, uh, both very important. I mean, there's no way that an instructor is going to know. Uh, what you enjoyed learning if you don't give any feedback and they could go ahead and change that, swap that all out because they think people aren't liking it and, and put in something incorrect. Yeah. What's that, what's that, um, what's that saying? Uh, if you're not at the table, you're being had for dinner or something. Like Ooh. That. Have you ever heard that before? Nice. Yeah. So like, you know, showing up is challenging and I'm not going to say that everybody can show up, right. right? Like people can't show up to vote or to, input there you know sometimes people just can't wake up and not every right. time all the time no right. but no. and so we recognize the challenge or we recognize the challenge of being able to do that and being able to stand up and, and 
and have an opinion about something. But there's so much power in that. Oh, absolutely. Right? And yeah. just to just to be able to to vote, uh, to say, to have an opinion um, in a form where they're asking for that opinion. Like, right. like if you can do it, it, you know, you're 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 doing it for yourself. Yeah. And you're doing it for everybody you know, and it's it can be so powerful. Well, and that was one thing that I was very impressed with uh, with this school and the with DASA. Um, you know, from very small things to just uh, changing the due dates of a particular assignment because there was so much going on that week. And if I think that's reasonable, because, um, you know, more times than not, the, you know, the instructor of the course has no problem uh, giving the extension to the whole class because of this. And, and you know, perhaps they're not aware of, of uh, possible potential conflicts and things. But it, when that happened, you know, kind of the first time, I was like, oh, wow. As students, we really have a voice in not just, um, you know, uh, but how we're learning and, and not necessarily what we're learning, but in, in how we can actually achieve these things because it's not easy and uh, you do feel like there's these hoops you need to jump through them and sometimes you may think, you know, they're cramming these things together to see, you know, the pressure and, you know, these types of things. But uh, more often than not, um, it's really just easy to move these things and make them easier for you. So with that sort of uh, concept in mind that we can move dates around, so important when there's really uh, valuable things mm -hmm. to voice your opinion and be involved. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, yeah, go ahead. What's exciting is I, last term was class rep, and so I got to sit on a couple meetings with Steve Purcell and Diogo, um, and we spoke a lot about um, MRCH admissions and what's coming up for our class. Um, and yesterday I actually went on to the Dell online and looked at our list of professors for B5. Mm -hmm. It is kind of exciting. And is so it, they uh, are listening to us and it's awesome. Right. Um, different profs, different, uh, different takes on classes. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting because the B5s last term did do a lot of writing in their SRIs and they did speak to the challenges of B5 and the cool. March admission. Ooh. Um, so they are being heard. We are being heard. It's very positive. It's slow, but steady. Right. Another example Remember how our microwave didn't work? Yeah. I cornered Steve Parcella, and now we have a microwave that works. So, oh, well, thank I mean, you like, so much. They do listen. So yeah. yeah. It's awesome. Yeah, and it speaks to the power of the other. So, like, you know, it, it's it's just, like, for, for me personally, I get really excited when I see female. Um, like, like when we had the lectures by, um, by uh, who's it? What's her name again? Susan. Susan, thank yeah. you. Yeah, like, yeah. For well, one PM, yeah. She's I was like, one of our B5 profs. Like, I was nice. thrilled yeah. to bits. But then having Benji, like, as a gay man, yeah. and seeing Benji there, like, I can't describe the... And he has no idea who I am. Doesn't matter. But, like, I can't describe that feeling of seeing a gay architect who's, like, who's, like, gay and, like, not... Like, I'm sure his... MySpace profile said homo on it. And like, <laughs> okay, like yeah. I love that. And, yeah. and that's really valuable. And um, anyways, I, I just, I get really Power of representation. I just get yeah. so excited by the other. I don't know. I love yeah. it. I, no, I it's it. great. Yeah. We have an exciting term coming up. Yeah. And hopefully an exciting future. Well, yeah. one thing I will say about B5 is that M1 is the reward for B5. If that's your goal. If not, if that's, that's your goal, also fine. Uh, yes, absolutely, and um, and actually, Benji does talk about life after beds Ooh. later does on he? in the podcast. That's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. So far away. Uh, but it's it's not. It's just around the corner. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the um, B five term is apparently a tough one. Mm -hmm. But it's the it's you know it's the end of the line you know after that it's the uh, you get the piece of paper and, and you move forward so it, uh, in my opinion you know last level it should be it should be tough you know and, and that sort of thing um, so really fantastic so we've touched on uh, some books here I don't know if there's anything else there that you wanted to there were was, really heavy hitters or I think there was one heavy hitter that I absolutely wanted to mention okay well please yeah let's um, uh, let's jump back I do have that. some more female authors so what I would say first is that. My reading list right now is is um, a lot of female authors. Like so, Great. when I can get my hands on um, Architecture and Sexuality, which is one of the books that I have here, mm -hmm. Nope, Sexuality in Space, um, or Gender and Architecture, um, that's something I'm looking at. But I would say, uh, in to rebut your favorite book, yes, yeah. uh, Corbusier's 
uh, what's, what's the name of this book? Toward uh, New Architecture? Toward New Architecture. Yeah. I would say comp uh, Complexity and Contradiction of Architecture. Mm. Robert Venturi um, says something in the 60s that I, I believe is is much more valid, mm. uh, which, uh, which really sort of is inclusive of the multiplicity of experience, good, bad, ordered, unordered, chaotic, uh, ordered, uh, male, female, right. uh, oh, wow. other, yeah. like it, it, it's inclusive of all of those types of experience. Um, and he speaks about how that can be manifest in architecture okay, in space. Nice. So a really good read, I would say comp uh, complexity and contradiction Robert Venturi. Robert Venturi. That's right. Yeah. Um, and just to uh, rewind just for a moment. Yes. My actual favorite architectural mm. book uh, is called Questions of Space. 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 It's fantastic. It's, uh, it's a, a very short read. I believe it's about 20 pages. It's just 100 points of how space just relates or questions about space, not outer space, mm -hmm. but spatial uh, things around you. I wasn't going to bring it up, mm. but you did mention my favorite book, no, so I, I had to do it. But it's it's very much like this. Here's like the mirror book. It's in the Saxon Library. Yeah. I can't tell you where because I I've looked for it again and it's not there. So I Aww. I don't even know if it exists at all. To be honest with wow. you, I may have dreamt the whole thing. But it's just a total black book. It just says the word space and a question mark on the front of it, and it is a, uh, a desirable read. Well, you'll, you know yeah. where you'll find me tomorrow. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah so digging, digging in the stacks. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Um, but on that topic, you had sexuality in space. Is that about outer space, or is that uh, <laughs> spatial again? I mean, something about sexual space then sounds interesting, but no, this is... Um, so this was a conference um, about the topic of sexuality and architecture. Okay. Um, and I found it particularly an interesting read um, because, again, it's a collection of essays, short essays, um, mostly by female authors. So if you're looking at um, contemporary female um, architectural theorists, mm -hmm. it's an interesting read. There are certainly better books. This is just one that I happened to read recently, so... Right. Okay. It's very cool. It you know it uh, it's got a very pristine white uh, the edges of the pages doesn't look like it's been flipped through too many times. Almost looks like one of those uh, uh, VHSs or a book on tape sort of a yes, container. Yeah. yeah. So actually, if you don't mind handing it over to me, Certainly. I think it deserves a read. So if you're looking for this book, you can find it in section NX six fifty S eight S forty eight. 1992, Sexuality in Space. So just so we're clear, it's a 1992 publication. looks brand new. It looks does. brand new, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's good. You've actually got a part of it marked off here. I think I'll uh, go ahead and read through I, this page here if, you, if you'd recommend it. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know if you can. I don't know what I've selected there. Well, we're going to go for it. Just, okay. uh, just kind of random. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the concern of the symposium was not with space as yet another symptom of sexuality, repressed or otherwise. It is not a question of looking at how sexuality acts itself out in space, but rather to ask, how is the question of space already inscribed in the question of sexuality? This formulation required that we abandon the traditional thought of architecture as object, a bounded entity addressed by an independent subject and experienced by a body. Instead, Architecture must be thought of as a system of representation in the same way that we think of drawings, photographs, models, film, or television. Not only because architecture is made available to us through these media, but because the built object is itself a system of representation. Booyah! That was a good passage. It's an interesting symposium. Yeah, yeah so I, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know where, they don't mention where it was held, but... Uh... Definitely something it sounds like we're doing today. So, so yeah, could be an interesting read. Very fantastic. That's great. Um, just to list and not to touch on, unless you care to, but we should talk a little bit about Nocturne here. Yeah. Um, what other books do you have there just to recommend and we can let yeah, people yeah. know just to just to read them? So, so something I'm reading right now is uh, Phenomenology of Perception. Oh, I've heard of this, actually. Yeah, yeah so this comes up a lot. This is one of those... Uh, 
Frequently referenced by architects. Yes, it was recommended to me in one of my first liquid lounges by an M5 student. Was it? Yes, yeah. I was, yeah. I was talking about capturing the sky, and they said, you should read this phenomenology book. Yeah, so so, um, so I'd say I've, I've gone through it once. This is now my second go-around a few weeks later. Yeah. Um, and it is a challenging read. Mm. Uh, because it is so sort of dense, it's, it's, it's a... It's like a philosophy text sort of it level. Is. Yeah. yeah, it absolutely is. Uh, and it's been co-opted by architects. Right. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I wonder I wonder if there's anything in here that maybe the book can say better than I can. Interesting. Yeah. We'll take Should we try? Through. Yes, please. I'll, yeah. I'll do a page and then we'll see how far we get before I'm bored. Um, <laughs> or we're bored. Well, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, well, why don't you just interrupt if I if yeah. I start? You just yeah, you just go until you interrupt. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. Uh, so this is from the introduction. So what is phenomenology? It may seem strange that this question is still being asked half a century after the first works by Hisselberg. Nope, that's not how you say that. Something like that. <laughs> uh, this fact remains that it may that has by no means been answered. Phenomenology is the study of essences, and according to it, all problems amount to finding definitions of essences. The essence of perception or the essence of consciousness for example but phenomenology is also philosophy which puts essences back into existence and does not expect to arrive at an understanding of man and the world from any starting point other than their facticity it is a transcendental philosophy which places in abeyance the assertions arising out of the natural attitude the better to understand them but it is also a philosophy for which the world is always already there before reflection begins and as in inalienable presence, and all its efforts are concentrated upon reachieving a direct and primitive contact with the world. Kind of stop, stop there, but it basically, what architects do when they co-op is they're, right, yeah. they're basically using the word phenomenology. Right. Uh, so a good example of that, if, if you've ever heard the work of Gaston Bachelard, right, okay. he uses the word phenomenology a lot. Uh, it appears in the work of Zumthor, I believe. Um, I'm sure you've seen it. I'm sky. Sure. Who's gonna just mix all the sky rooms in? Texas? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, yeah. You know what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. Tensha, there's a lot to be one. Yeah. I, yeah. Oh, okay. So the sky rooms in Texas. Yeah, those guys. Uh, yeah, phenomenology. Um, yeah, just fantastic. You yeah, know? interesting. That's really interesting. great. So I, I always find it interesting when architects co-op things and then try to make it architectural mm. and I'm skeptical of that idea so I thought sure. why not visit the original text right yeah go right <laughs> straight to the source reread the bible and like yeah no fantastic yeah. uh, just again the name of that book just yes. to reiterate so, is so this is uh, Phenomenology of Perception yeah and it's by Marlo Ponti and where do we find it in the Sexton Library? Certainly. You're going to find it at the... Oh, it's not in the Sexton Library. Ooh. It is in the Sexton Library. It is in the Sexton You have to ask. This is a personal copy? So uh, a master's student has it presently. Oh, right, okay. It's Cape Breton. This is from Cape Breton University. CBU, baby. That's right. So if you are if you happen to be in Cape Breton at the library, <laughs> you can find it at the 829.5 M413-1962. Also, if you're in Cape Breton at that university, there's a wonderful church across the street from the ferry terminal there that we explored this summer. Oh, yeah. Uh, we were there getting our fall arrest certificates there in Sydney, Nova Scotia. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely worth a uh, exploration. Really fun place. Only three people are allowed on the second floor because of bearing issues. So uh, three people. Yeah, it's it's like Is a it one joist. It, it's <laughs> it's four hundred pounds. Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. Many B one designs looked like that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. How do you get to the second level? Exactly. <laughs> so before we go, Doctor, thank you so much, Andrew, for uh, uh, sharing with us yes, your you. uh, literary uh, wealth. Of course. In in architectural readings, and we would absolutely hope to have you return to the podcast and uh, and go through this again because I'm sure there's many more titles out there that I like a book. Give me new magazine snacks or something. Ooh, I love a magazine. Love a zine.